Our Father who's in heaven, we are very thankful for another day and opportunity to study and grow and look into your word, which gives life, wisdom, hope. Father, we pray that you will bless this study. We pray that you will bless us as we try to learn more about Jesus and how we can become more like him and imitate him in every aspect of our lives. Bless us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past Sunday, we began a journey with Jesus. We began a journey with Jesus through the gospel specifically. We began a journey with Jesus to some of the actual places that he spent time in when he was here on this earth. As we noted last Sunday, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mention geography quite often in their writings. They mention specific places and specific areas for a reason. They, they're mentioning these, these cities to us over and over again in their writings because they want us to understand that these places they are talking about are real places where real people lived and God in the flesh, Jesus, spent real time there. The gospel writers mention geography for a reason. The Holy Spirit mentions geography for a reason. Now, in our first lesson in our series we're doing called Jesus Walks, we spent our time considering what the gospel tells us about Capernaum. Remember, I pointed out how Capernaum was one of several cities that I was able to visit and spend time in during my two-week stay in Israel back in 2015. Capernaum is a very significant city, according to what we read about in the Gospels. According to what history tells us and according to what the Gospel tells us, Capernaum was on the western shore, the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Remember that Galilee was the sea in which Jesus walked on. It was the sea in which Jesus did a lot of traveling on. And Capernaum was right at the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was two and a half miles from the mouth of the Jordan River. The Bible calls it the home of Jesus. It's called Jesus' home because when he became an adult, he took up residence there. He owned a home in Capernaum, and he did a lot of preaching and teaching in Capernaum, and he worked a lot of miracles in Capernaum, and he also called Peter and James and John and Andrew to be his apostles while they were working as fishermen in Capernaum. Jesus did a lot of work in Capernaum. The people of Capernaum were actually able to experience his glory, but unfortunately, even though they experienced his teaching and experienced his miracles, the Bible tells us that they rejected him. Jesus was rejected by the people of Capernaum. And in Matthew 11, we read in our last class how Jesus announced cursing on that city. But Capernaum was a very significant city in the time of Jesus. And in our class this evening, we want to talk about another city 
that was just as significant to the life of Jesus, and that is the city of Nazareth. Nazareth. While in Israel, I was also able to spend a day in Nazareth. And Nazareth is another city that is closely associated with Jesus. In fact, Jesus is often called in the gospel, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, haven't you noticed that? Haven't you noticed just how often Jesus is referred to as Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth is often closely connected with Jesus' name. And the question is, why? Why is Jesus commonly called Jesus of Nazareth? Why is that city so heavily and closely associated with him? Well, that's what we want to talk about in this study. In this study, I want to share with you some important facts that we need to understand about Nazareth. It is my hope that by going through these things, it will help you in your reading of the New Testament. Hopefully, it will help you read the New Testament in a way that maybe you've never read it before. Let's look at what the scripture says about Nazareth. And let's just begin with some of the things that the scripture says about, about its geography. The geography of, of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth actually sits 80 miles north of Bethlehem. I mentioned Bethlehem here, and we're going to have a study on Bethlehem. But Bethlehem was the town that Jesus was born in. Bethlehem was the town that King David was from. Nazareth, to give you an idea of where it's located in Israel, Nazareth is 80 miles, it's 80 miles to the north of Bethlehem. Nazareth also sits 15 miles, as you can see on the map, it sits 15 miles from the western shore of Galilee. Again, Galilee, that small body of water, played a critical role in the ministry of Jesus, and Nazareth is 15 miles from the western shore of Galilee. It is also 60 miles from the city of Jerusalem. Now, while on the map here, Jerusalem seems to the south, and it is to the south of Nazareth, 60 miles, Nazareth is 60 miles north of Jerusalem. When you travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem is south, you actually have to go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is so highly elevated. And so while you are traveling south from Nazareth to Jerusalem, you're still going to have to travel up because Jerusalem is the highest elevation uh, in as far as a city goes in, in all of Israel. In fact, I can remember how miserable the journey to Jerusalem was for me as we were traveling to Jerusalem going up to that high elevation due to my sinuses and my allergies. I really struggled on that journey. Now, as far as a bus ride goes from Nazareth to Jerusalem, a bus ride from Nazareth to Jerusalem will take you, will take you about an hour and a half. It is about an hour and a half journey, and much of our journey uh, lied traveling near the Jordan River. We couldn't go right through Samaria. In fact, during the time of Jesus, if you were traveling from Nazareth to Jerusalem, you wouldn't go through Samaria because the Jews wanted nothing to do with the people of Samaria. 
And so instead of taking the shortcut going through Samaria, they would actually go the long way and they would get as close to the Jordan River as possible so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. They would travel just west of the Jordan, and in some cases they would even go east of the Jordan just so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. They did not, they'd rather go the long way instead of go through Samaria. They did not want anything to do with those people. That's how much of a prejudice they had for the Samaritans, the Jewish, the Jewish people did. And so you're about an hour and a half bus ride from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And it is interesting how since Nazareth uh, sits on a mountaintop, it is another one of those cities that was a city set on a hill. This is another one of those cities that Jesus could have been referring to in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about a city set on a hill. Like Capernaum, Nazareth was also a city set on a hill. It was also a city where a lot of people could see it from a distance. They could see it from any part of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it is interesting how from Nazareth, because of it's because it sits on a mountaintop, you can see two significant places from Nazareth. First, you can see Megiddo. Megiddo, if you remember in your Old Testament, Megiddo was a famous battlefield for the people of Israel. Many famous battles, Old Testament battles, were fought at Megiddo. From Nazareth, you can also see Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was the place, and we'll have a lesson on Mount Carmel also. I was also able to visit Mount Carmel while in Israel. Mount Carmel was the place where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. This is where God rained fire from heaven to expose the prophets of Baal. This happened at Mount Carmel. You can see Megiddo and Mount Carmel from Nazareth. Nazareth, while we're going to spend some time talking about it in this video, we need to understand that it is never mentioned in the Old Testament. As far as the Old Testament goes, Nazareth was an insignificant city. Unlike Jerusalem or Megiddo or Bethlehem even, you never find any mention of Nazareth in your Old Testament. And yet, even though it is never mentioned in the Old Testament, when you get to the New Testament, particularly when you get to the Gospels, you find a lot of action taking place in Nazareth. You find a lot of important things taking place in the life of Jesus in Nazareth. For example, go on your Bible to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 and in verse number 43, we're going to read the Gospel of John later on this year, towards the end of the year. But I want you to go to John chapter 1 and look at verse 43. The Bible says, The next day he, referring to Jesus, proposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. So this is Philip being called to be a disciple of Jesus. Now Jesus was from Bethsaida. We'll have a lesson on Bethsaida. Of the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael. This is another man who would be an apostle. And he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now watch verse 46. In verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. 
Come and see. Notice how there Philip gives Nathaniel a simple invitation to come and check out Jesus. He gives him a simple invitation to come and investigate whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, I have found the one that the prophet spoke of. I have found the Messiah. I have found the one who is coming to the world to be the Lamb of God. Philip told that to Nathaniel. And when Nathaniel found out where this so-called Messiah was from, according to what we find in verse number 46, Nathaniel seems to be disturbed by that. He seems to be shocked by that. He even seems to be disgusted by that. In verse 46, he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Notice how Nathaniel is disgusted with the possibility that the Messiah might actually come out of Nazareth. Question, why would Nathaniel feel that way? Why would he respond in this way to Philip saying, I have found the Messiah in Nazareth? Well, my dear friends, the reason why Nathaniel is responding in such a negative way to the Messiah coming from Nazareth is because he had the same mentality that most Jews during this time had concerning the town of Nazareth. You see, we have to understand that 2,000 years ago, most Jews did not respect people from Nazareth. Nazareth did not have a good reputation at this time. It had a very negative stereotype attached to it. For most Jews, when they thought about the people from Nazareth, they, they thought about people who were ignorant and, and country and kind of backwoods in their thinking. They thought of Nazareth as just a small, insignificant town. I mean, in their minds, Nazareth would have been the last place the Messiah would have come from. From Nathaniel, we see here that Nazareth was very insignificant in the time of Jesus. But even though it was insignificant 2,000 years ago, we need to understand that that is not how the city is today. You see, unlike in the time of Jesus, Nazareth is a very large city today. In fact, it is the largest city in the northern district of Israel. It actually has over 75,000 people who live there today. That is way bigger, much bigger than it was in the time of Jesus. It is a large city today and there is Western culture, Western culture that's all over the place. I mean, when I was in Nazareth, I was able to pass by a KFC. And I was able to see a Pizza Hut and a McDonald's. And believe me, it was very tempting not to go to the McDonald's, for those of you who know me. And I was even able to see a Starbucks coffee. There's a lot of Western culture throughout Nazareth and really all of Israel. And as far as the religion goes, let me say that in Nazareth, and like in all of Israel, the majority of people, as far as religion goes, they're either Muslim or Jewish. In fact, that is where much of the controversy stems from and boils over even to this day. Even to this day, the Muslims and the Jews do not get along for the most part. 
And you really see this hostility start to boil over once you get to Jerusalem, particularly where the Temple Mount is. The Muslims and the Jews still fight for that area, and they're going to be fighting for that until the Lord comes back. But the majority of folks in Nazareth and in all of Israel are either Muslim or they're Jewish, and there is a large Catholic population there. And believe it or not, but the only church of Christ, the only local church of Christ in all of Israel, mind you, is found in Nazareth. The only church of Christ in all of Israel is found in Nazareth. It is an Arab-speaking church of Christ, and it's made up, or at least it was made up five years ago, of between 40 and 60 disciples. Now, because Nazareth is so highly populated today, it has become very hard to do a lot of digs and make a lot of archaeological discoveries in that town. And so we didn't come across a lot of archaeological discoveries due to the high population of the city when we were there. But one of the cool things we were able to do was we were able to visit a village that was intentionally set up to look like a village in the time of Jesus. And so at this village, I was able to see a man who was a shepherd. This man in the photo was a, was a real shepherd tending sheep. Shepherds were very common in the time of Jesus and in Israel. And as I was traveling around Israel a few years ago, you still see shepherds all over the place there today. That is a common thing, a common craft or profession in Israel. We were able to see small children, small children who were dressed like the people would have dressed 2,000 years ago. I was even able to see a tomb, how a tomb 2,000 years ago would have looked. You know, so often when we think of the empty tomb of Jesus, we think of this huge, this huge area or this huge opening with a huge stone that would have been over it. That's not how the tombs really would have looked 2,000 years ago. They were much more lower to the ground. You actually had to, to stoop down pretty low and bend down pretty low to get into the tomb. And, and the stone wasn't was this huge stone, probably you know came up to about where this podium is. They still were kind of heavy, but the point is they're not this huge thing where you can just walk right into. You got to kind of bend low to get into a tomb where someone is, 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 has, been, has been laid to rest. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Other things I saw while in Nazareth is here you get a, you get a good view of, of where a lot of the people live there in Nazareth. You have a view of some homes here. This is a view from the village that we were in in Nazareth. You also, we also were able to go into a, a synagogue, a place that had been uh, reconstructed uh, and built to resemble how a synagogue would have looked in the time of Jesus. This is a picture of how the synagogue looked from the outside, and this is how it looked from the inside. This is how a synagogue would have looked in the time of Jesus. You see there in the photo areas to sit behind the pillars. Uh, we all, when we were there, we all sat on on these uh, areas behind the pillars, these bench-like areas. And what you see there in the middle was a table, and on the table was a scroll. And so if you were in the time of Jesus, you would have come into the synagogue, you would have found a seat, 
typically the way that synagogues, the way that, the way synagogues were organized, where the men will all sit together towards the front, and the women and the children will sit in another area, more towards the back. And the people would stand up in the synagogue when the scripture was read, and the one who was reading the scripture would be sitting down. Now that is the total opposite of how we do it in Western. Uh, society today but during this time people would have stood up while the scripture was being read and the reader would have been sitting down as he read from the scroll as he read from the scroll uh, behind a table like this and we actually did that while we were there we had somebody read a scripture while we all sat around uh, and listened to the scripture read it was a pretty neat experience now another question that you might have, and probably the main question we need to consider is what relationship, what particular relationship did Jesus have to Nazareth? What specific relationship did Jesus have to Nazareth? Well, I want to give you a few things to think about, and you can either jot these things down, these things down, or make sure you get a copy of the outline. You can download that. But according to what the scripture tells us, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. This was the town where he spent much of his life while he was on this earth. When you read Matthew chapter 2, and we read uh, the gospel of Matthew uh, recently. In fact, we finished up Matthew 28. You should have been finishing up Matthew 28 today uh, if you're a member of the Monte Vista Church. But if you remember, going back to Matthew 2, once King Herod started slaughtering uh, infant children, male children two years and under in an effort to kill Jesus, God came to Joseph and he told him to take Jesus, to take the small child Jesus and flee into Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod because Herod viewed the, this king of the Jews as a threat. And so in, in order to preserve Jesus' life so he could do or fulfill his, his mission, Joseph took Mary and the child Jesus, and he spent some time in Egypt. He spent some time in Africa. And after Herod finally died, God came back to Joseph and told him about Herod's death, and he told him, you can now go back into Israel. Particularly, you can now go back to Galilee. I want you to go to Nazareth. Joseph took Mary and the child, and he went to Nazareth after Herod died. In fact, that is exactly why the scripture says Jesus was called a Nazarene. He's called a Nazarene because he grew up in Nazareth. We don't have a lot of information about the life of Jesus from the time he was born to the time he turned about 30 years old. We do know that he was born of a virgin. We do know that he spent some time in Egypt as a small, as a small child. We do know that he was raised in Nazareth, and we do know that when he was very young, when he was 12 years old, uh, he got lost from his family for a time when they went to worship God uh, in Jerusalem. But we just don't have a lot of information for the, of the first 30 years of his life. What we do know is during that time, during much of that time, it was in Nazareth. He was a Nazarene. In fact, while growing up in Nazareth, the Bible also says that he took up the same trade as, as his stepdad, Joseph. 
He was a carpenter. In Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says that Jesus took up carpentry while I was in Israel in this small village. We came across a man who, who was dressed and, and showed us what a carpenter would have looked like during that time. Uh, I can't remember this gentleman's name, but here he's practicing the craft of carpentry in this village in Nazareth. Jesus was a carpenter. And Jesus also came. Jesus came from a very big family. Go over to Mark chapter 6. And I want to read verses 1 through 3. And in Mark chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Jesus, Jesus went out from there, and he came into his hometown. Now, hometown here is a reference to the town he grew up in. Like, I grew up in Nacogdoches, Texas. So Nacogdoches, while I do live in Phoenix, Nacogdoches is my hometown because that's where I was raised. That's why I grew up. And Jesus' hometown was was Nazareth. It says, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him in such miracles as these performed by his hands? And so notice how Jesus is in his hometown. He's preaching the word of God. He's performing miracles. Verse 3 says, is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and the brother of James and, and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us, and they took offense at him. So notice how contrary to what some suggest, Mary did not remain a virgin until the time of her death. Notice how after Jesus was born, after he was born of a virgin, the virgin Mary, notice how Mary then had other children. She had children with Joseph. While Jesus had a miraculous birth, he did have brothers and he had sisters. He had siblings who were born of natural means. Jesus was born miraculously, but after his birth, Mary and Joseph had, had other children. And they raised their family in Nazareth. Nazareth is also the place that the Bible says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 9 that Jesus came from to be baptized by John. In Mark 1 and verse 9, it says that when Jesus went out to meet John at the Jordan River, he came from Nazareth. This would mark the beginning officially of his ministry. You go to Mark chapter 1 and verse number 24, and the Bible says that before casting some demons out, the demons acknowledge Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. Notice how, according to Mark 1 and verse 24, even the demons knew that Jesus was from Nazareth. They called him Jesus of Nazareth. They showed a lot of respect for Jesus on that occasion, but sadly, even though these demons showed respect to Jesus, they actually showed a lot more respect to him than the very people of Nazareth. The people of Nazareth, his hometown, they did not really respect Jesus. You see, when you put the gospel records together, what you find is on at least two different occasions, on at least two different occasions when Jesus began his ministry, he went back to teach in Nazareth, and on both of those occasions, it wasn't a good experience. I'm going back to Mark 6. Mark chapter 6, and in verse number 
4. After these people say, don't we know this guy, this guy who's doing these miracles and giving this, giving this teaching? Don't we know this guy? Is he not a carpenter? Don't we not know his mother and his brothers and his sisters? It, it seems like they're saying, they're asking these questions as to say is, we know little Jesus. We've known him since he was a little kid. There's, there's no way he could be the Messiah. They're not giving him much respect. In fact, Jesus makes that clear in verse 4 when he says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among those of his own relatives and his own household. Translation, it's hard to get a lot of respect from people when they know you since the time you were a little kid. It's hard to get those people to, to give you some honor and to give you some respect. Jesus even struggled with that. And in verse 5, it says he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he wondered at their unbelief. So Jesus here is teaching in Nazareth, and these people give him no respect. And because of that, because they don't take him seriously, because they don't respect him, he doesn't do a lot of miracles there. He doesn't do a lot of teaching there because there are, there's a lot of unbelief in Nazareth. Because these people knew him for years, they figured there's no way he could have been the Messiah. I want to go now to Luke chapter 4, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. This is a lengthy section I'm going to read, but I have to read this because this is going to set up everything else we're going to talk about in this video. In Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse number 14, the Bible says, Luke 4 verse 14, Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This actually occurred before the events of Mark 6. This is very early in the ministry of Jesus. It says, And news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching, their, teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, notice, where he had been brought up, where he was raised. And as his custom, his normal method of evangelism, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and, to reco and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. As he closed the book, and he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all who were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Don't we know him? And he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at, at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. There that is again. But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zephyr in the land of Sidon, Sodom, Sidon, I'm sorry, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. 
And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Okay, I want you to notice what's going on here. Notice very carefully what's going on here. Notice how here in these verses we have Jesus very early in his ministry. He's about 30 years old. He has just been baptized by John in the Jordan River. He has just spent time, 40 days, in the wilderness where he fasted and where he was tempted by the devil. All of these things have occurred, and now he's officially beginning his ministry. We are three years from the cross. Jesus is now going around Galilee preaching the word of God and doing miracles. In fact, one of the places that he visits is Nazareth. He goes back to his hometown. In fact, on this particular occasion, Jesus enters into the synagogue in Nazareth. And he goes there because he knows a lot of religious Jews are going to be there. They're going to be there because they want to learn the scripture. They want to learn the word of God. And Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. And so he goes into the synagogue and he's given an opportunity to speak. He's given an opportunity to teach and to read the scripture. In fact, Jesus on this occasion goes to the table and he picks up a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. Particularly, he picks up Isaiah chapter 6, or 61, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61. He gets a copy of Isaiah 61, and he reads Isaiah 61. Particularly, he reads the part of Isaiah 61 that talks about the blessings of the Messiah. It talks about how the Messiah was going to spiritually bless people. He was going to set them free from their sins. He was going to come and provide salvation to all people. That's what Jesus reads from in the synagogue in Nazareth. And after he reads from Isaiah 61, he then says to the people, he says, this scripture is being fulfilled before you right now. In other words, I am the fulfillment of this. I am the Messiah. I am the one that Isaiah spoke of here in Isaiah 61. I am the one who is coming to the world to provide spiritual blessing to all people. You see, here in Nazareth, in the town in which he grew up, Jesus is emphatically announcing that he is the Messiah. He is the one that Isaiah and the other prophets spoke of. That's what Jesus says here on this occasion. But unfortunately, once he said that, the people did not receive that well. In fact, they say things like, don't we know this guy? Don't we know his dad, Joseph? Haven't we known this guy from a long town? Is not this his hometown? There's no way he could be the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. They reject Jesus. They don't take him seriously. In fact, they seem to be very offended that he would say that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. And after they do that, Jesus then brings up two Old Testament examples. The first example he brings up is an example that came from the prophet Elijah. 
He talks about the time when there was three and a half years of famine in Israel. And Elijah was sent not to the Jewish people to provide them with relief, but instead he was sent to a woman in the land of Sidon. He was sent to a Gentile woman to bless her, to give her relief during that time. He then mentions the prophet Elisha. And he talks about the time when Elisha was used by God to help Naaman, the Syrian, another Gentile, be healed of his leprosy. Here, Jesus, after he is mocked and rejected by the people in the synagogue, he mentions two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and he talks about two times in which God used them to bless Gentiles. Not to bless Israelites, but to bless Gentiles. That's what Jesus refers to here. And after he does that, the people got very upset. They got very upset because they knew what Jesus was doing by bringing up those examples. You see, by bringing up those examples of Elisha and Elijah and how they were used by God to bless Gentiles, the Lord is making the point that these people in Nazareth were acting just like their ancestors. Just like the Israelites in the time of Elijah and Elisha, they too were rejecting a messenger of God. They too were rebelling against a messenger of God. And because, that, because they were doing that, the same thing that happened to their ancestors was also going to happen to them. God's presence and blessings were going to leave them. And they were going to go to Gentiles. God was going to bless Gentiles since the Jewish people, since these people of Nazareth did not want to accept God's chief messenger, Jesus. Their, God's presence and blessing was going to leave them all together at some point, And it was going to be offered to Gentiles. That's why the Lord is bringing up those two examples. And the people understood that, and, and that's why they got so mad. That's why they were furious at Jesus. In fact, they were so furious that the Bible says they took him and they almost threw him off of a cliff. They were going to kill him in Nazareth. But by the providence of God, he was able to escape. They did not like Jesus talking about blessings being brought upon Gentiles. This was a very sad moment that took place in Nazareth. But it does bring us to our final point, and that is what can we learn? What are some lessons that we can learn from Jesus' time in Nazareth? Well, the first lesson is this, and I want to bring all the lessons from this text here in Luke chapter 4. The first lesson I think we can learn from this it's getting mad at the truth doesn't change the truth. These people got mad at the truth. They got mad at what the truth said about Jesus and how he was the prophesied Messiah. They got mad at the truth that the Old Testament revealed of how there were times when God did bless, bless Gentiles. And he was going to continue to bless Gentiles through the Messiah. They didn't like that. But even though they didn't like it, it wasn't going to change anything. You know, I don't like that there's no NBA basketball right now. I don't like there's not any sports to watch on TV right now because of the coronavirus. But just because I don't like that 
doesn't mean it's going to, that's, that's not the truth. It doesn't mean that when I get home today, some kind of way there's going to be an NBA game on all of a sudden. Me getting mad at the truth doesn't change the truth. You see, the wisest thing to do when it comes to truth, particularly the truth of the scripture, is not get mad at it. It's not reject it like these people did in Nazareth. Instead, it's to accept it. Accept the truth because Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, only the truth will set you free. Getting mad at the truth doesn't change it. It didn't change the truth for these people in Nazareth and it won't change it for us. Instead of getting angry at the truth and rejecting it, the wisest thing for us to do is always read it, study it, and apply it and receive it into our lives because God's not going to change his truth just because we don't like it. Secondly, a second lesson we see here from Nazareth is Jesus doesn't force people to serve him. Another way we could say that is serving Jesus is a choice. It's a choice. While the Lord could have certainly have forced these people to serve him in Nazareth, and while he certainly could force us to serve him, while he certainly could have made us to be programmed robots, that's not God's will for mankind. One of the things that makes us special and made in the image of God is we have the ability to make choices. In Joshua 24 and verse 15, Joshua told the children of Israel, choose now this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua says serving God is a choice. It's a choice because we're free moral agents. We're not programmed robots. We're not animals who live off instincts. No, we're free moral agents. We have the ability to choose. These people in Nazareth, they could have been forced to serve Jesus, but Jesus didn't force them to serve him. Instead, he pre presented them with evidence. He presented them with truth, and he allowed them to make their own decision as to what they were going to do with the truth. They chose to reject him. They chose to almost kill him. They made a choice, and we are making choices today also. In fact, when it comes to serving Jesus, we all right now have already made a choice. Either we're serving him or we're not. But it's our choice. And then thirdly, from this in Luke 4, we see God's will can never be stopped. It can never be stopped. We can't ever stop God's will from taking place. These people in Luke chapter 4, particularly when you look at verse number 29, when they got angry at the words of Jesus, they tried to, to kill him. They tried to kill him prematurely before he made it to the cross. But notice how even though they tried to do that, verse 30 tells us some kind of way, some kind of way Jesus got out of that. Some kind of way he was able to escape through their midst. It wasn't God's will that he die at that time. It wasn't God's will that he die in that city and in that way. God had three more years of work for his son to do. It was God's will that Jesus died at Golgotha on the cross, not off a cliff in Nazareth. So even though these people were being used by Satan to kill Jesus before the time, God made sure providentially that, that did not happen. And we got to understand that that same truth is, is applicable today. Today, God's will, whatever it is, it can't ever be stopped. 
whether we're on board with God or not, God's will will always be done. It will always get accomplished. And that's why we must always pray that God's will is done in our lives and in every aspect of life because his will is always the best way. Now that's our study on Nazareth. I hope that study will help you as you continue in your Bible reading. And I also hope it will help the members of the Monte Vista Church of Christ stay focused on our theme this year of experiencing the fullness of Christ. Remember this year we're trying to learn more about Christ. We're trying to become more like Christ and draw closer to Christ. And what better way can we do that? What better way is there to do that besides studying what the gospel says about him and about his work on this earth?